Morning. Uh, my name is David Soren. I'm the lead pastor here at Renovation Church. Uh, morning to you. Glad you are here this morning. Uh, if it's your first time, you're just kind of catching up with what's happening uh, at this church. And you don't know yet, uh, this is a church that right now is growing uh, exponentially uh, fast as we reach a lot of people for Jesus Christ. And as people are really having a yearning to hear God's word uh, taught again. And so what's happened in this space is we know that we are going to run out of room in this building sometime in the next 6 to 18 months. And so we are, as a church, just to recap for you, attempting to add 24,000 square feet of space on this building to make room for the people who want to come and hear about Jesus and grow in their faith. But in order to do that, so we don't run out of room, this project will cost $8.75 million. And so we as a church, so we can do this, are attempting to raise $4 million in three-year pledges. Uh, We know that we actually probably need to raise over $4 million if we're going to break ground this summer, like we increasingly think we need to based on what's happened here the last couple months even. And, and And I would also add this. I think this is important to understand. Even if, like, let's say Elon Musk showed up here tomorrow and he decided to write us a large check, uh, let, let's say our Illuminate total was 5.75 million or something like that. Even if that happened, we'd still be taking on 3 million more dollars of debt as a church. And so the need here is significant. And so in this moment in our church's life, we need to turn to God's word. We need to get direction from it. Uh, Let me just say this as a preface before we open this up today. As a church, uh, we don't talk about money very much. In fact, the majority of you here, I would wager to say, uh, not that I wager, uh, (laughs) I would say, uh, have probably never actually heard a message about money at this church. And so if you're new here and you're thinking, oh, here I am, I'm at church, they're talking about money. No, this isn't a normal Sunday for us. And yet the Bible does talk about money, uh, actually a decent amount. And so if we're going to look to the Bible, which we are, at this unique moment in our church's history with Commitment Sunday next week, this is where we need to look. Honestly, it would be weird if we were talking about anything else this Sunday. And so that's what we're going to do. So everybody grab a Bible. They're under the chair in front of you or under your chair if you're in the front row. Uh, we are going to be on page 791. Uh, we are going to be in the letter of 2 Corinthians. And so Paul is writing to the Greek Christians in Corinth uh, about taking up a collection of finances for people in Jerusalem. And we're going to be in chapter 8. That's the big number 8. And we're going to start right there. Paul says, and now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. Okay, so Paul starts off. By writing about these Christian believers in uh, Macedonia, uh, and he's writing about them to another group of uh, believers, also in the same area. So they're both from Greece. He's writing to the people in Corinth, but he's writing about a people from a different part of Greece, Macedonia. And he says, these Macedonian Christians, not only have they suffered through persecution, they also are extremely poor, and yet here they are being extremely generous, so much so that you look at verse 3, he says, they gave beyond their ability, which I can only take to mean that they took some risks with their giving. They didn't just 
quickly run the math, it gives something that wasn't even a sacrifice. Of verse 4, Paul says they even begged to give. Like, how is this possible? Who are these people? And what has happened to them? Well, what has happened to them is they have experienced the deep grace of Jesus Christ. The reality that even though they were dead in their sins, they were destined to and deserving of hell, Jesus Christ came for them and died on the cross for them, freeing them from the bonds of sin, giving them the Holy Spirit, offering them eternal life, and it just doesn't get any better than that. And so their joy has welled up, Paul says, in generosity. Uh, It kind of reminds me a bit of this past summer, I was with a group of people from our church in Tanzania, in Eastern Africa, and uh, just an amazing experience there. And we went to a church on Sunday morning, and the people of this church compared to us as Americans, were in extreme poverty. And yet they were so excited about what Jesus was doing in their lives and so excited upon hearing what Jesus was doing in our church that that church that morning decided to take up an offering for our church. Well, what is that? That's nothing other than what Paul's writing about. That's extreme joy welling up in rich generosity. And yet... When we turn that around and we think about doing that ourselves, then we hesitate, right? We say, Lord, I don't know. I, I just, I have so many obligations. I've got student loans. I've got a mortgage. I've got a car payment. I've got these little um, things running around. I think they're called kids, uh, super expensive. Uh, and I, I just tell you what, this chapter in 2 Corinthians is for us as Americans. See, the Corinthians... Uh, the people who were receiving this letter from Paul, they were actually the wealthy Greeks. And the Macedonians, they were the ones that were living in poverty. But yet it was the ones that were living in poverty that were begging to give. So what is so different about their situation? Let's keep reading, and I I think we're going to come to the answer. So we are at verse 5 now. Paul says, And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord, and then... By the will of God, also to us. I actually think maybe the most important part of this entire section of scripture today is that part where he says, they gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord. And so these Macedonian Christians were able to be generous because they had first given themselves, first and foremost, to the Lord. And so even in their finances, God was first. Paul explains that a little further, our next two verses, so verse six now. He says, so we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Now, we talked about this a little bit. For those of you that were here in the fall, we taught through the book of Colossians. And Paul spoke a decent amount on spiritual maturity. And that if you're going to be spiritually mature as a Christian, there's a wholeness, a fullness to that, multiple dimensions. And Paul, again, is saying, if you're going to be spiritually mature, it isn't just about you growing in maturity in your faith, in your speech, in your Bible knowledge. He says, if you're going to be spiritually mature, you also have to grow in the grace of giving. In other words, you cannot become spiritually mature in Christ if you have a compartment of your life that you refuse to allow Jesus access to. Okay, Paul challenges some more. Verse 8. In verse 8, he says, I'm not commanding you, 
but I want to test the sincerity of your love. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart is, by comparing it with the earnestness of others. Now, notice Paul says in verse 8, he says, I'm not commanding you. So you never want to be coerced into giving to the Lord's work. You don't want to be guilted into it if you're hearing something like that. He's just not of God. In the next chapter, Paul even says, God loves a cheerful giver. And so when you put all that together biblically, it means this. You want to, as a Christian, you want to give every part of yourself, first of all, to the Lord. But your goal is to do that in joy. Now, I think some of you, over the last couple of weeks, as you've been processing in your head about what's going on at our church, maybe you've been thinking, David, I, I totally believe in everything that's happening around here. I'm really excited for what God's doing. But I just don't have the financial capacity or the margin right now to be a part of it. Now, because we've been saying our hope is that everybody can be a part of it in some way, I can't encourage you enough to consult our Illuminate booklets that were on your chair uh, today because they've got some awesome creative ways on how you can still be a part of it. By the way, if you don't have one of those books yet, uh, please actually take one uh, with you today because there are some amazing ideas in there. And let me show you a few of them. And we did the math for you on some of this. So take a look at this. So for those of you that uh, go and uh, visit uh, religiously a caribou... uh, Why are you laughing? (laughs) That was really nervous laughter. Starbucks... uh, Here's the deal. One less, and I'm not talking about black coffee here. I'm talking about the drink that you get. One less drink a week over this Illuminate period of three years is $858. Uh, Those of you that when you go to work, you eat out a lot for lunch. Well, if you pack a lunch twice a week, the difference there of savings is $1,404. A family four that eats out. One of the trends that there's been a lot written about since COVID is families eat out, or at least do takeout so much more often than they were doing even in 2019. And so if your family does that one less time a month over this period, that's over $1,400. One less vacation in the next three years on average is $2,500. Putting off uh, uh, getting a new car, like maybe you've got a car... You, you call her old, old Betsy the clunker, or whatever you call your car, right? And you say, we're going to hold on to old Betsy for one more year. Well, that's, a, that's on average $6,000. I was talking to a family a couple of weeks ago who said they were going to look into cancel their, canceling their cleaning service. Uh, and when they did the math on it, they realized that it added up to a $12,000 pledge over three years. That's amazing. There are others who have said they're going to donate stock or assets or an annual bonus or a tax rebate or even selling something like a, a boat or an ATV. There are so many different creative and unique ways to be a part of it. Now, you may have seen this next slide already, but this represents the types of pledges that we think we'll likely need in order to raise $4 million. I encourage you to use this tool this week. It's in your Illuminate booklet. Again, don't get distracted here. There are no all-star givers They're not equal gifts, but it is equal sacrifice for each of us, depending on where we are in our situation. Uh, If you're newer around here over, say, the last six to nine months, and you've kind of been thinking about getting to the point where you're giving here, but you haven't yet, I would just tell you that this is the time. This is the time to jump in. Or for others of you, if you are in a place spiritually that you are giving, but you're not tithing yet, you're not giving the biblical 10%, maybe you ask the question this week of what would it take for us to use this moment sacrificially to get to tithing, to get to 10%. So if you're giving, you do the math and you find out you're giving 
5% to our general fund. What if you then gave 5% to the Illuminate Fund so you could get to tithing? You know, in this season of our church, we're praying really for a lot of different things. I urge you to pray along with us. We're praying specifically for people who feel stuck and feel like, I just don't know how I can be a part of this, that they would find some sort of, that the Lord would give them some sort of creative way to be a part of it. We're also praying for six-figure gifts. Uh, you know, in, in our past endeavors of raising funds, which we had to do, that's why we're sitting in this building right now, right? We, we had to do to purchase land to get to this building. In our, in our past endeavors of doing that, a six-figure gifts were something that we never received. But we know at this level, at $4 million, it is something that we will indeed need. And so we're praying for that. We're praying for 100% participation, that we stay a rowboat, that everybody picks up an oar together. And let me tell you something. The reason that we are sitting in this building right now is because of the sacrifice and faith of the people who trusted that this could be our future. We believed a huge harvest was coming, and we sacrificed for it. You know, I was remembering this week, uh, back to 2014, uh, the very first time that we set out to, as a church, say, hey, we're, we're not going to stay in an elementary school gym forever, so we got to raise money. And we set out to raise money to buy this land that we're on right now. And we set a goal of $500,000, which was a huge goal for our young and small church. And I can remember, I got about a week away from Commitment Sunday, and I had basically convinced myself in my mind that it was never going to happen. I, I remember telling my wife about seven days out, I said, Lindsay, I, I've run the math a thousand times in a thousand different ways. It just isn't mathematically possible for our church to do this. We're never going to get land. It just isn't going to happen. And then I can remember Commitment Sunday. It was November 16th, 2014, at North Point Elementary, just down the road. I can remember like it was yesterday. We did this thing where we had people basically at the last song get up and take their pledges and walk them to our little portable stage in the front, kind of like an offering. And I just, I just, I get chills thinking about it still. I remember sitting there and watching people get up and people get up and people get up. And I, and I looked over at Lindsay and both of us just had tears in our eyes. And I said, where are all these people coming from? And to this day, I swear to you, every single person in that gym got up and walked to the front. I swear it was everybody. And that's why we're here today. That's why we've seen 190 people give their lives to Christ already in such a short time. We, Renovation Church, are a people of vision, of faith, and sacrifice, and God has so blessed that sacrifice. And so later today, at the end of this service, on your way out, you're going to receive a commitment card uh, for our Commitment Sunday, uh, which is just seven days away. The commitment card looks like this. So what we want you to do is sometime this week, uh, fill this out so you can bring it back on uh, next Sunday. If you are out of town next Sunday, you can't be here, uh, you can also fill this out online on our website or on our app. It's simply a pledge of what you intend to give over the next three years. It's not a binding contract. Nobody's, we don't have people who chase you down or anything like that, right? When you pledge, you'll get information about how to actually begin giving to Illuminate. And so because we're only seven days away from this key day as our church, I just want to highly encourage everybody in the room, pick a night this week 
where you can set aside some time uh, to look again at the guide and the tools that are in the Illuminate booklet. They're there to help you kind of with this exact process and then seek the Lord on, on this. If you're married, take the time to pray together, talk together, and let the Lord lead you. It's a financial decision, but ultimately I believe it's a spiritual decision. We need to be led by Jesus in this moment. But let me just get back to why we're asking everyone to be a part of this. Would you look at this one more time? I, I want to go to the next verse, verse 9. So Paul's continuing in the same thought, and he comes really to the crux of the matter. And he says this, verse 9. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, right, through his pouring out, might become rich. See, that's why we sacrifice as Christians. Because our example, Jesus Christ, sacrificed so mightily. He gave up everything for us. He gave up the beauty and the riches of heaven to come to a dusty manger on earth. He gave up his life on a cross for you. He became poor so that through his poverty, through his pouring out of his life, that you may become rich in faith. And this is, this is our example This is why we sacrifice generously because of what he gave us, because we want others to experience the same thing. At church, we want to reach hundreds, hundreds, and hundreds of people for Jesus. The darkness grows in our city and beyond, and we need to illuminate it with the life of Jesus Christ and his light. And listen, it is not just about the light here on this corner. It is also about the lights that go out from here. Hear me, it is really critical that that everybody understands this next point. This this isn't about just building a bigger room. You you can think of it this way. The way that they determine capacity in a room, it's not by how many people you can fit in a room, but rather by how many people you can safely send out of a room. See, we are not just adding parking and more seats and more space so we can get a bigger crowd to sit in this room because capacity is not about how many people we can get in. It's about how many people we can send out. We are reaching people for Christ and they are going out and they are illuminating the darkness for their friends and their family members and their neighbors. And it is critical that you understand that we aren't asking a single soul to sacrifice for a building or for a number, but for people, real people. In fact, let me show you what I'm asking us to sacrifice for and the blessing of it. I'm going to introduce to you some people who have been saved by the ministry of Renovation Church. Because this is exactly what our future will look like. People, real people. Over the next few minutes, I'm going to bring up seven new Christians, all seven of which have been saved at this church. They accepted Christ at this church since we opened the doors of this building. And I want you to hear their stories. I'd like to invite up Carly Edgerton. Carly was the very first person to accept Christ in this building. In December of 2020, Carly first felt this nudge 
to start looking for God. Actually, while she was driving and she saw a billboard about God. She then attended our very first service in this building, back when we were all spread out uh, six feet from each other at the height of COVID. But she heard the gospel anyway, and she stood up and she gave her life to Christ. And right after that, she dove into discipleship and, and house groups. And you can see her being a light teaching and renovation kids, which is amazing. I'd like to invite up Kelly Becker. As Kelly grew up and got married and had two kids, despite everything looking fine on the outside, she felt an emptiness in her heart. No matter what she did, she felt lost and with no answers. In March of 2021, Kelly and her husband were invited to a baptism service at this church as they had a friend that was getting baptized. And they came. And then they kept coming. And one month later, Kelly and her husband, the same time on the same day, both stood up and gave their lives to Jesus Christ. And I think, you know, I think often of their two young kids who are now going to grow up in a Christian household. And we pray that they too will be lights for Jesus Christ. I'd like to invite up Reggie Natividad. You know, Reggie grew up in a Roman Catholic home with a general faith that God was up there. But like so many people in our area, he didn't feel like he had a deep understanding of how to truly walk with and how to follow Jesus daily. And he got invited to Renovation Church, and he was grateful for all of the small things that we do, like sharing page numbers in the Bible. And Reggie jumped right in, and he went through our discipleship program. He joined a house group, and he made a decision to get baptized, getting baptized at the same time as his son, because God gives light and it spreads. I'd like to invite up Eric Johnson. Eric, again, I think like so many people in our area, grew up in a church, went to church, got confirmed, but in that process never really knew who God was. Now, after high school, Eric entered the army, and his attendance at church became non-existent after that. Until about a year ago, when his daughter saw signs for our Easter egg hunt outreach. And she said, Dad, let's go. This is how God uses kids, right? And he said, okay. And they came. And they loved it. And they kept coming. And then Eric signed up for our first steps class in Renovation U. And he got so many of his questions about the Bible, about Jesus, answered. And he gave his life to Jesus. And now he serves often on our AV team, putting up the slides, which he's literally doing even this morning. <laughs> I'd like to invite up Renee Malarkey. Renee, like so many Americans, she always wanted to come to church, but she just kind of let life get in the way. And through a set of unique circumstances, she began to seek out God again. And she found her way here in May of 2022. And she shortly thereafter, she accepted Christ into her life. 
And like so many of our new believers, she got an insatiable appetite for Jesus and his word. In fact, Renee plowed through our entire 90-week teaching series on the book of Luke in our app in about three weeks. And God is using her to be a light. Just four weeks ago today, her young adult daughter also made a decision to follow Jesus Christ. I'd like to invite up Brie Kosky. Brie and her husband met Luke and Sarah Wiersma from our church while their kids were playing baseball together this summer. And Brie came to our family fun day outreach, and she accepted Christ that day, along with one of her neighbors who also accepted Christ the same day. They both began uh, discipleship with Sarah Wiersma, and then three weeks later, another neighbor accepted Christ here at this church. And then shortly after that, another neighbor friend was pulled into that group of four ladies in this neighborhood, all being discipled and pursuing a relationship with God for the first time. And Bree would tell you that before Christ entered her life, that she was full of anxiety, that she was searching, like so many around us, high and low, for purpose, for contentment. And now Bree along with half of her neighborhood, is diving into the Bible, and she feels, for the first time in her life, a peace that she never had before. Amen. I'd like to invite up Mike Costello. Yo, Mike came to our church just 11 weeks ago. And before Christ, Mike would have described himself like I think many in our country would as a functional alcoholic. But when he showed up here for the first time, he was at his bottom. As his wife had recently left him, and issues were starting to pile up. But on Sunday, December 4th, Mike invited the one who changes lives into his life, and Jesus did just that. And Mike has worked quickly through his discipleship program. He has joined a house group, and Jesus is changing Mike so quickly that he and his wife are already back together. And so hear me on this. When we talk about the future, when we talk about the blessing of sacrifice, this is what we're talking about. We are talking about people, real people with real lives. And we want to see more of this, God. We want to see more marriages saved. We want to see more people sober. We want to see more kids growing up in Christian households. We want to see people saved for eternity. This is why we sacrifice. And do you see the exponential power of the gospel? Because it's not just about this room. Capacity is not about how many people we can get in. It's about how many people we can send out. God has put a light And each one of these people and their light is going out and it's illuminating the darkness. And so I say, let the gospel ring out from this place, not just here on this corner, but from each of us as we carry our lights out of here and we push back the darkness. May God be with our church this week. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we just pray that your hand would be upon 
this church uh, over these next seven days. You have gotten us uh, to this point, Father, where we have run out of room in about 18 months, so much faster than any single one of us could ever have imagined. And now, Father, we need you in this moment because you are moving in so many lives. And Jesus, we need you to move in more lives. You are doing it. Lord, we ask that you do it again, that you keep doing it. So, Father, be with us in this season, in this moment. And may you, may you move, God. May you move and may you be glorified. So, your name we pray. Amen.